We are live from America and just outside the matrix in the danger zone that is the New World Order and the Biden administration. This is Lee Stranahan, and you're listening to The Backstory. Sadly, today is not a Carmine Monday. We got a call from Carmine. Did you hear that, Rod? Yeah, no Carmine today, unfortunately. Unfortunately, no Carmine. But there's plenty going on, and we'll talk to you about some of it. Our two guests in the first hour is the great Daniel Lazar. We'll be talking to Daniel about the repercussions going on about Nancy's trip. I've never seen so short a trip have so many repercussions. Have you noticed that? The repercussions are lasting a lot longer than the trip lasted. What was Nancy there like five minutes? Rod? <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I agree with you, Lee. A short trip, but uh, going to be a long, hard uh, battle as far as what, what, you know, what repercussions uh, China's, what more repercussions China's going to put on America. And then remind me again. Uh, who's on the second hour? It's Dan Kovalik. He's over in Colombia covering the uh, inauguration of the of the Colombian president. That's right. That's right. And uh, I don't think I've had him on the show before, but he's been on other shows on Radio Sputnik. Correct? That is correct. And we're looking forward to talking to him about everything going on in the world. And we're taking your calls, 202-521-1320. This is the backstory. Now, one thing, Ron, I, I want to talk, Rod, I want to talk to you about, forgive me, I was thinking of Ron DeSantis, Rod. I want to talk to you. Did you see what's going on with DeSantis and the district attorney that he is trying to fire? Andrew Warren. Yeah, I did see that, Lee. Uh, and I, I uh, kind of commend him on that for, uh, you know, this guy not doing his job. So not doing your job, you might as well get out. So and and DeSantis made it very clear what the issue was. This is a another one of those Soros funded district attorneys, Andrew Warren. And he's fully uh, a Soros funded. And we talk about that sometime. It's a very smart move that Soros did. Rather than spend his money on the big races, he's still spending some money on the big races, but he got into races like the DA, where you don't spend as much money, but you have a lot more effect on the state's governance. Does that make sense, Rod? That Soros has been funding these races for DA all over the country. We've talked about Larry Krasner from Philly and also Fox from Chicago, but all across the country, Soros has been doing this. And DeSantis basically said, enough. And tried to fire Andrew Warren. But Andrew Warren's not going without a fight. Have you seen that, Rod? 
Yeah, of course, you know. But uh, it, it's funny you say that because uh, Ronda Sanders already uh, uh, announced the uh, his replacement. That's right. It's good to be governor because you win basically those battles. But Warren is still throwing a hissy fit and saying he's not leaving and saying what DeSantis is doing is unconstitutional and against democracy. He he really doesn't want to go. He likes his job, Rod. You got to admit that's dedication. You're fired. And yet, you want to stick around. And DeSantis said his argument was good. Basically, that the district attorney is not doing his job. DeSantis' argument, I thought, was solid. The district attorney is not have a job to decide what laws they're going to follow. Does that make sense? The district attorney is basically saying we're not going to follow certain laws, and that is not the DA's job. He thinks it's his job, because what they've been doing is these Soros-funded DAs get in and then decide we're not going to follow this law. The latest one was his new rules on abortion in Florida. This DA said... He's not going to follow them because he doesn't agree with the Supreme Court on abortion. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's correctly. And his point as governor is you don't get to pick what you're going to follow for laws as DA. And it seems to me he's right. And that despite the fact that Soros is trying to do this, I don't think you get to. And I'm not a lawyer, thank God. But as as far as I can see, DeSantis is a point. I don't know. So I'm not a lawyer, but am I missing something? Do lawyers have to follow, I don't know, the law? What am I missing here, Rod? No, nah, you're 100% truly. And, uh, you know, in Philadelphia, we've been living under hell under Larry Krasner. Um, you know, I, I make fun of the guy because he, you know, in reality, he, he's, he doesn't like that he was born white. So he's trying to, uh, you know, make, make up for imprisonment of black people, uh, for certain crimes, you know, whatever, you know, you know, you, I guess you could agree with him, like, you know, little petty crimes, like selling weed and stuff. But, uh, when you're shooting and killing people and carjacking and you're not prosecuting these crimes, which is your job, then that's a whole nother story. Yes. He feels Brandon Griner's pain. He certainly, Krasner, I'm not surprised he's not gotten involved. He hasn't pulled a Pelosi and just decided to do foreign policy. Krasner should get involved in Russian foreign policy and get Brandon Griner out of Russia. Do you expect to see those moves from Krasner anytime soon, Rod? Uh, Lee, uh, you know, Last that I'd heard, he drives a Tesla, and you know how e- Elon Musk is getting, uh, you know, eviscerated in the media. I wouldn't be surprised if he gave his Tesla away just because you know the media says that now Elon Musk is a, you know, heretic or whatever. I wouldn't be surprised if he gives it to Brittany Griner. Here, Brittany, have a get out of Russia and have a Tesla. Does that seem like Larry's move to you, Rod? 
No, I could I could totally see that. And he's so oblivious to the stupidity of of his ways that yeah, he would think that he would get, you know, praise from all of the WNBA NBA. Now mention another story, and it's a horrible story, and nothing but tragic. But in light of what we were talking about with Bill Gates, it's worth mentioning. So did you hear the awful story in Florida about the woman who was convicted of child neglect for the way she fed her child who died weighing 17 pounds? She fed her child a vegan diet, and she's been convicted of that vegan diet killing her child who weighed 17 pounds at death. Now, have, have you heard about that at all, Rod? Uh, no, I heard of other ones similar like that in the past week, which, you know, I guess it's not a good thing. It's just like a list of them. But no, I didn't hear about this one. And how old was this? How old was this child at 17? I mean, 17 pounds is like a baby. I mean, if you're I, consider- I, I believe it's two pounds. I believe it's two years. Yeah. I believe this child who died was two years. Yeah. Yeah, you should be somewhere in the 25, you know, 25 pounds around there. So, you know, that's underweight. And you see why I'm saying it relates to Bill Gates. At a time when Bill Gates is trying to put America on a vegan diet, here's a question worth asking. Is vegan, are vegan diets safe? And I've heard for years there are real health concerns. Rod, I'm going to ask you bluntly. Do you think vegan diets are dangerous at all? I think you have to supplement. Uh, you have to take a lot of supplements to supplement what you're missing from eating meat. Uh, you know, a lot of vitamins and minerals that you get from eating meat. Um, and yeah, so I have heard of a lot of problems from people who do go vegan Um, and you know, there's a way you have to do it and and whatnot. So it's not, you know, it's not for everybody. Um, and it it could, it could definitely be dangerous. Well, nutritionally, I don't know much, but it seems to me like any diet that you have to supplement or it's dangerous is probably a dangerous diet. You could eat cardboard as long as you supplement it. So you're saying you have to supplement the vegan diet with food are you saying that's what's up you need to supplement it with food or you know some type of vitamins uh different type of vitamins that you might be missing from your diet that like i said that you would get from you know beef chicken uh, or even fish i know some people you know some vegans you know they don't even eat fish anymore so they just stick you know straight plant-based and um you know you're not getting all you're not getting all of your uh, nutrients especially if you eat, if you differentiate from cooking your food and eating it raw so you know it's so much in, that goes into it Now, this may be shocking to many of our listeners who count on Bill Gates for all their nutritional plans. Does that make sense, Rod? We have a lot of big Bill Gates nutritional plan followers here listening to the show. Oh, no, we don't. Not actually. But uh, people, by and large, who listen to the show, I would say, are not fans of Bill Gates. Would you agree with that, Rod? No, I would agree with that. I don't, honestly, in 2022, I don't know too many fans of Bill Gates, you know. Right. And that's why I say, I'll, although, I'll, when 
one of your main reasons for being is promoting a vegan diet for everybody. The fact that people are dying of a vegan diet could come up as a problem potentially. Do you see that? Do you see this being used as an issue against Bill Gates increasingly? Rod, do you think this is going to come up? Yeah, no, I, I, I could definitely see something like that. But, you know, there's an answer for that, Lee. Uh, crickets. You can get a lot of protein from crickets. And uh, I, I saw another article on um, some type of worm, different type of worm, not, not necessarily earthworm, but another type of worm that uh, gives you a lot of protein, too. So, they're, you know, they're heavily advertising these things. But the danger in eating crickets for people is that crickets provide the number one sound effect that people use to answer questions when they're asked questions about Bill Gates and they don't have any answer. You see what I'm saying? They play a cricket sound effect. And if you eat them all, there's no sound effect to explain what they're thinking. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, no, it's funny you say that because it's almost the same as the answer when people ask him about his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. All you get is crickets. Now, let's go with Bannon first. I saw uh, Hedge River clip. Bannon was making a speech out of CPAC. And I really am confused a little by this new CPAC. It seems it's a regular thing. I saw they'd done an extra CPAC last year in Dallas, Texas. And I remember it. Because Christy Nome, the governor of South Dakota, went there and attacked Ron DeSantis. Do you remember Christy Nome attacking Ron DeSantis there last year, Ron? Yeah, we, we talked about that, Lee. And, uh, you know, I don't really hear too much about her as far as, uh, you know, as a, as a rising star. Uh, Ron DeSantis is, but I don't hear about Christy Nome anymore. Well, you don't talk to Corey Lewandowski much. He raves about her. No, I shouldn't say that. I haven't heard anything specifically. I'm sure Corey, if he's still in his marriage, I'm sure there's a no Christy Nome rule. Do not mention Christy Nome around the house. Would you say that's a safe rule for Corey Lewandowski? Yeah, no, I would agree with that, Lee, but I'd have to troll his wife and say, well, what about garden gnomes? Well done. Now, but apparently they're doing this CPAC every year in Texas. It's an off, right? Apparently it's a regular thing to do sort of summer CPAC. Does, is that what's going on, Rod? Summer CPAC in Texas? Great time to be there. Great planning, by the way. People, it's a genius move. What year... What month can we bring people to Texas? Oh, I know. Let's do it in July. That'll be fun. They're trying to kill people at CPAC, I think, Rod. What's up with that? What's up with sending people to Texas in July? Explain that one, Rod. Uh, I'm I'm not sure, Lee, but I'm, uh, you know, just like you, you know, it, it's, it was just uh I'm seeing so many CPACs. So I'm getting, what is it, two, uh, two a year now or three? 40, something like that. And and it's especially dangerous to have Steve Bannon because you know how Steve dresses. Steve dresses like a solar panel. Have you noticed that, Rod? He's doing his best solar panel impression in his wardrobe. 
Yeah, I still don't. I would, uh, you know, I'd like to know why he dresses with so many layers. Something I put that Lee. Yes, yeah, so many layers, and they're all black. So Steve Bannon dresses. He's doing again a dinner theater Johnny Cash version. That's Steve Bannon's dress. Hence, I said he's like a solar panel. He's constantly dressed in black, and I'm saying that black is warm. It's not good weather clothing to wear in warm weather. But there you have Steve Bannon. So let's have Steve Bannon. But I will say, Steve talks a good game. Whenever I see him speak, I almost always agree with what he's saying. So let's play that clip from my old boss, Steve Bannon. Hit it. In the next 24 months, starting on November 8th, through the 24 elections, we have the opportunity that will never come again, ever. Ever. We have the ability to shatter, shatter the Democratic Party as a national political institution. And how are we going to do it? Do you see moms from America? We're going to do it at school boards. We're going to... We're going to do it at school boards. We're going to do it at election boards. We're going to do it at medical boards. We're going to do it at canvassing boards. We're going to do it at state legislatures, county supervisors, the House, the Senate, all of it. Now, he, he had to get to the House and Senate last. You notice that, Ron? Because he has the least confidence that the Republicans who will be able to do it are Kevin McCarthy, right, and Mitch McConnell. Steve knows and the reason he started by talking about school boards is he knows the Republicans that have any guts and have any intestinal fortitude on issues are grassroots, not establishment Republicans. Do you think that's the point that he's making there, Rod? Yeah, it's funny that you that you point out that that's the last. And I noticed that, too. That's the last thing he said that the. Uh, about the Congress and Senate, and but um, I mean the House and Senate. So yeah, I, I I agree. You know, I agree with him on that. Uh, it's kind of an opportunity that won't come again. Uh, and like you said, it, it's you know it's weird because you know we, you know Steve Bannon and what kind of character he is, but he does say things that uh, you you know a lot of people would agree with. I agree with it. Yes, and and it's merely a defense of having some guts. It's merely defending standing up for what you say you believe in. The Republicans aren't very good at that. Now, neither the D Democrats. The Democrats are worse, in fact. The Democrats, I have no idea what they stand for. In fact, let me put it like that to you, Rod. Now, think about it. Try to be fair. What do the Democrats stand for in 2022 today? What did the Democrat Party stand for? Abortion is about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, raising taxes, because that's what's uh, that's what's in this new uh, this new redu inflation reduction act. Um, they're also policing uh, citizens because now we have they're, they're trying to get eighty seven thousand new IRS agents. So I would just, you know, like you said, I'm trying to be fair, but. Honestly, it's just propping up the establishment is what the Democrats are. That's what they stand for in 2022. You know, when I was a kid, they were for the working class, but that's a long time ago. Well, you know, Rod, they've talked about that. 
at the White House. You remember a few weeks ago, Ms. St. Pierre was asked about the Biden's plan for inflation. And she said, some Americans aren't paying their fair share. Some people aren't paying enough taxes. And she was asked by, I think, Ducey, he was incredulous. And he said, what does that have to do? What does paying taxes have to do with stopping inflation? Because although it may be a, a laudable goal to get some Americans to pay taxes, I'm not debating that for the time being. It has nothing to do with fighting inflation. If you got all the people who pay no taxes to suddenly pay taxes, that has nothing to do with inflation, it seems to me. And it seemed to Ducey from Fox. And he asked her, remember that? Him asking her, what does paying more taxes have to do with inflation? Well, now we know. This is the Biden plan. Is that is that what they're talking about? Is this the Biden plan for fight, fighting inflation is raising taxes or am I missing something, Rod? No, you got it spot on, Lee. Uh, you know, they're promised they're out here promising, saying that nobody who makes under two hundred thousand is going to have their taxes raised. But we all know that's a lie. You know, mansions, you know, mansions doing his did his rounds uh, yesterday on the news on CNN, MSNBC, uh, NBC. And you know, no, no, nobody's tax is going to be raised. Who's uh, uh, under two hundred thousand? But you know, it's a lie. It's already the reports are already coming out. That's a lie. You know, the poor people are going to get their taxes raised. And you know, uh, let's see how these audits. You know, if you have eighty thousand new agents or even fifty thousand, you know, it's going to be a lot more people audited, and uh, just not going to be good. But I am serious. I think, in some twisted way, the Biden administration was serious a few weeks ago. When they said that, do you see what I'm saying? I think in some way they think that raising taxes will fix inflation. Yeah, no, I definitely, uh, uh, Corinne, Pierre, um, you know, when, when Peter Deucer asked her how would that fix inflation, you immediately, you immediately see her down, look at the podium, looking for answers because she doesn't know. She's just repeating, she's repeating a, a narrative. You know what I mean? So she, once you ask a question of that narrative, it all falls apart. So she didn't even know how to respond to anything like that. And, I'm, you know, she's not an economist and neither you, you or I, but we, we know that that's not going to fix the inflation. Right, because it just li literally has nothing to do with it. It is not inflation has nothing to do with taxes. You get a high taxes or low taxes and inflation. Am I right, Rod? Yeah, hundred percently. And I mean, she was also asked about the uh, the baby formula crisis, and she didn't have an answer for that either. She said they're working on it, they're trying to get it fixed. It's going to be fixed, but you know, what is it now? About uh, about six about six months or so, we've been that the baby formula shortage has been going on, and you know, they haven't been able to fix it at all. Well, and I'll bet they'll be suggesting a vegan baby formula. That's the Biden administration's. Likely next move is to go along with Bill Gates, all vegan baby formula, right, Rod? Yeah, yeah, that would that that's probably the next move. You know, they're not you still we still haven't heard about uh you know you would think from from the Democrats and from the Biden administration they'd be they'd be out here telling mothers that they have to start breastfeeding you know use what God gave you but 
no, just wait, just wait and wait for this uh, baby formula. It's not coming. Uh, in fact, I think Joe Biden's specific suggestion was to tell those brats to shut up. No, he didn't say that. That would be a good quote, though. Would you be surprised if Biden just got fed up and lost it one day in a press conference and said, just tell your brats to shut up? Would you be surprised if Biden lost it at a press conference one day, Rod? You know, I don't know if you saw on Twitter uh, over the weekend, uh, one of his uh, aides who works at the White House is making memes of uh, Dark Brandon. So, uh, no, I wouldn't be surprised because I guess that's the new thing. Uh, Dark Brandon, he's going just going uh, going crazy now. Is that new from Marvel? Uh, no, that would be DC because he's it's a it's a Batman. It's the bat uh, the Dark Knight. They use the Dark Knight poster. They gave him a beard and a patch, an eye patch. I don't know why, but that's and of is, course is, DC is appropriate because that's where they are. And and do you know who who doesn't like Joe Biden? Do we talk about Hunter Biden? What was revealed that he was saying about Joe Biden? I don't know if we talked about it. But did you see that Joe Biden is not very popular with Hunter Biden? Did you see that stuff, Rod? Yeah, we spoke. We spoke about that with Tyler. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there's a lot with Hunter. <laughs> I mean, every other every other week, something else is coming out from his uh, his iCloud. That's right. Right. We talked about it with Tyler. I forgot, but it was stunning to me that. It got out in the press. That is someone, usually that stuff, you, you can have inner family fighting, but it doesn't make it to the press because criticism of Joe Biden seems to be on the press in their normal job. Have you noticed that? They don't criticize Joe Biden for much of anything. Have you noticed that, Rod? No, they don't criticize Dr. Biden at all. They don't even criticize her for being a doctor. Why is she a doctor again? Uh, I think she. I think she has a PhD in education. So you know, technically, she's she's got a doctorate. So she's, she can use the name. You know. Yeah, people like pointing out. Well, that's not a doctor. You know, that actually is a doctor. If you got a, a the same degree. That's the same degree that Bill Cosby had, if I'm not in, incorrect. Is that 100 percent? Yeah, 100. He he made people call him Doctor Cosby. That's right. Right, and they did, right up until they gave him a pill to drink. So, uh, she has the same degree as Bill Cosby, and I think that's the way I'll put it. Sound good, Rod? Sounds great to me, Lee. I I agree with you on that. Okay, let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk to Daniel Czar and Schultz. The Nancy Pelosi stuff will be made obvious. You will actually understand. That's a lie, by the way. You will. It will make no sense. It's still the Nancy Pelosi stuff. Even Daniel Czar cannot make sense of it. But that's coming up after a short break with Daniel Czar on. The backstory.
And we are back on 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in Washington, D.C. This is The Backstory. Joining us now, great friend of the show, political analysis and foreign policy analysis from the great Daniel Czar. Hey, Daniel, how you doing? I'm fine. How are you, Lee? Doing great. So, indeed, can you make any sense of what Nancy Pelosi did going to Taiwan last week? Because I think a lot of people are having trouble actually even understanding it. It seems to make no sense. It seems to be like she's poking the Chinese hornet's nest for no reason. They're not coming out. What What is she accomplishing? What is she accomplishing? She's getting her name in the in her picture in the papers. She's ending, winding her career up with a bang. Uh, she's taking a poke at an old enemy. Remember, she's been a China basher since the, the early 1980s. Uh, and I guess that's about. I guess that's about it. And after after she exits the uh, exits the, the scene, it's someone else's problem. So you think she's on her way out? And this is our last hurrah, as it were. Yeah, well, she's already made it clear that she's gonna, she won't uh, resume the speakership uh, next year. So she she'll hand the baton over to someone else, and uh, so that'll be it. So she'll go into retirement sooner or later. She's uh, 82 years old, and uh, and she'll go out with a blaze of glory. She'll she'll wind her career up with a bang, and I hope that bang is figurative and not literal. Also, the same can be said for the Democrats, that this November should see the Democrats lose power congressionally. So is it a lost hurrah for all the Democrats? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, Abortion throws a real monkey wrench. I mean, this this referendum in Kansas was really quite something. Uh, it just shows that the, the courts and the people are heading off in opposite directions. Well, the New York Times estimated that if, the, uh, that if a, a referendum was, was held nationwide, uh, abortion rights advocates would win uh, 65 to 35. Uh, so, so all that is, is, is putting wind in Democratic sails and, uh, and giving them hope that things might not turn out so bad in November after all. So that's interesting. Do you do you think that's possible, actually, Daniel, or do you think that what's your gut tell you about November? My gut tells me the Democrats are wrong. My gut tells me that the Republicans will still win. They'll they'll still capture both houses, and that they will then make life a misery for Joe Biden, and will essentially rig the system so they go on to capture the presidency in 2024 even though there is a, they're as, as unpopular as ever. The Republicans are saying? Well, yeah, bear in mind, this is the party that's lost seven out of the last eight presidential elections in terms of the popular vote. They're a minority party. The only way they're able to stay in office is by rigging the system. And now they want to rig the system even more, using the Supreme Court to uh, essentially prevent a, uh, a Democrat from entering the Oval Office ever again. That's an interesting perspective because, of course, I see the Democrats as the one who rig the system because they can't get an election they're happy with. For instance, the hypocrisy on getting 
when Hillary Clinton lost, all that the Democrats did was spend the Trump administration whining about how, how he was an illegitimate president. But then I see when Biden is accused of being an illegitimate president, I think for valid reasons, because the Hunter Biden laptop story was killed in the media and by officials of the FBI and the CIA. When the Biden laptop story was done, then questioning his Biden's legitimacy is forbidden. What do you think about that, Daniel? That the Democrats have spent the the entire Trump uh, administration questioning his legitimacy, yet no one is allowed to question the legitimacy of Joe Biden. What do you think about that? I, I, I totally agree with about the Democrats. I mean, you're absolutely correct. I mean, I mean, Russia Gate, Russia, Russia, Russia was clearly an attempt to drive uh, um, uh, Trump out of office. It was a it was a backdoor coup, no doubt about it. Not the slightest doubt in the world. Um, and the and the and the the laptop episode is one of the strangest events in modern democratic and modern uh, politics. And the way 50 ex-officials of the uh, of the CIA and the Defense Department, I think it was, you know, immediately, immediately labeled it a Russian dirty trick. That was absolutely bizarre because the laptop evidence is 100 percent solid. Um, and uh, and and Fox News had a had a had a piece, an investigative piece, uh, a couple of weeks ago, showing that uh, that that Hunter Biden had introduced his father to business associates on no less than 14 separate occasions. This is the same Joe Biden who denied that he ever discussed business with his son. So, yeah, you're absolutely right about the about Russia gate. You're absolutely right about 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 laptop gate. Um, but the fact is, in 2020, Joe Biden won by seven million votes. And that speaks very loudly. And the uh, and the fact is, is, is that the, the Republicans have lost the popular vote in seven out of the last eight elections. They are definitely the minority party. And as a result, they are using every trick in the book, every constitutional trick they can lay their hands on to increase their power. I mean, so so what we're seeing is, you know, is a, is a kind of like, you know, a, a Republican manipulation of the system. To hold on to power, and the big the big prize prize will come in 2023 when the uh, Supreme Court hears a question that speaks to the special legislative powers doctrine, which essentially will give the state state legislators the power to to handpick their electors in presidential elections in disregard for the popular vote. At which point we will cease having anything resembling. Democratic presidential elections. And that's what the Republicans want, and that's what they're working towards. Now, I should point out, in Joe Biden's defense, you, you're you not parsing him correctly, Daniel. If you listen to him, what he said was, he said, it is a lie. I did not speak with my son one time about business dealings. And technically, that statement is true. He did not speak with him one time. It was 14, as you pointed out. So 
saying Joe Biden spoke with him one time is not true. You're skipping 13 of the times they talked to his son about him. So it's a matter of not following the Biden parsing, Daniel. Sorry, you missed the subtlety of it. Yes, you're absolutely correct. Um, I did miss that. I did miss that subtlety. You know, and I and I really hate to speak, you know, to speak uh, well of the Democrats. I really do because I despise them so thoroughly. But it's clear what the Republicans are up to. I mean, we are now suffering under a minority dictatorship. I mean, Republicans have stolen the presidency twice. They have a 12 percent advantage in the House in terms of the number of votes needed to win each seat. They, they have 50-50 parity for the, in the Senate, even though they, uh, they, um, they represent 41.5 million fewer Americans. They have, um, they have an advantage in the Electoral Council of College. And, and now four, four of the five, five of the six conservative members of the Supreme Court were appointed or nominated by unelected presidents, i.e. Joe Biden and Donald Trump. So they're using their ill-gotten gain, gains to, to rig the Supreme Court, which then, hopefully in their view, will rig the presidential election process so that they'll be able to hold on to the White House forevermore. But isn't the United States not a pure democracy and isn't this the way our system is set up for we're a constitutional republic and our our system is not a democracy a pure democracy on purpose it is not a democracy where the bigger numbers win because the founding fathers realized that if it was just the bigger numbers win then the urban parts the cities would always win isn't it designed to balance the fact that we have a big rural population and is designed to, to balance out the fact that the parts of the country that are represented by farmers as the citizens need a system that would allow the farmers to get some representation without having a majority? Daniel, don't, was that the way the Founding Fathers set up our system in America? Yes, it was. But, um, but I disagree with the Founding Fathers. So the only fair thing to do is put it to a vote. If 51% of, the, uh, of, the, of Americans disagree with the Founding Fathers, then the Founding Fathers go out the window. And we get to run things as we want to run them now. I mean, that's what democracy means. If you have 51% of the vote, you've got all the power in the world. You can do whatever you want to do. And if you don't, then you're screwed. And as for farmers, I mean, farmers now account for less than 2% of the population. So they should have no more, no more extra clout than what? Than what? Real estate agents, pool cleaners, taxi drivers. I mean, each of these occupations are equally as important and equally as powerful politically. So let's just have one person, one vote across the board and see what happens. Well, what will happen is pretty obvious, I think. The people in a pure democracy, they get what they want. They, they win it. And that's the danger of a pure democracy and why, a republic, why we have a re republic. Because they realize 
that the people from rural areas have different values than people. Do you think that's true, by the way, that rural people see the world fundamentally differently than uh, city people, you know, broadly? Do you think that's true, Daniel? Yes, I do. I think there's, there's a, a very profound split. But, you know, but, uh, but, you know, but, you know I, I agree with you, Lee, that, that democracy is dangerous. But I also agree that it has its blessings. And the only, the only ones who are empowered to sort those two issues out are the people themselves. Look, if you, if you have a vote, you have a vote. And the majority wins. And if you don't like it, then all you have to do is work, as by the, by the next election, work to swing one or two percent over to your point of view, and suddenly you're in the majority. I mean, that's what happens. I mean, your majorities turn on very minor changes in the election and, and voter opinion. And if you're on the out, then you work to get back in. And that's what fuels the fight. You know, that's why you have people in send parliaments, you know, standing up and denouncing each other in a much more forthright way than you'll ever see in the U.S. Congress. But, you know, but, but let's have a fight. Let's have a fair fight. And may the better man win. Now, do you think in our country currently that we're having a fair fight? Do you, I, I, I'm in favor of discussion of these issues among people like like we're doing, Daniel. But I don't hear enough discussion about that. And I see a system where the D Democrats aren't interested in winning elections fairly. Do you see any of those problems, Daniel? Yeah, I mean, I see a lot of problems. I think the system is falling apart. And so basic things like election law is falling apart. I mean, no one trusts election outcomes. We you know America is the only country that has, we have 50 different elections every four years because every state has its own election, its own rules, its own procedures, its own ballots, et cetera. I mean, that's what we discovered in Florida in November 2000 when, they, uh, when it turned out that, 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 the, that Miami-Dade County used this kind of crazy you know, punch system where the punch holes didn't always go through. They had no, and suddenly everyone was learning about hang, hanging chads and the like. But, you know, but America should have a uniform electoral process and it should have one which is neutral and professional and above reproach so that everybody trusts the outcome. That's what we should do. And we should then put things to a vote. And if you get 51% of the vote, you get 51% of the seats in the National Assembly, and you get to run things the way you want to run them. Then three or four, year, four years later, there's another election, and things may turn out differently. But that's what democracy means. I mean, things are rigged now in favor of the minority party. I mean, we, the, the Supreme Court has voted to overturn Roe Ro v. Wade even though something like two-thirds of the country support it. I should point out that, that what the Supreme Court actually authorized was just sending back to the states. And I don't know that the majority of people oppose that. I don't know what the people think about that issue. People act like Roe v. Wade was about deciding on abortion, and it actually wasn't. It was just dividing on states' rights. What do you think people think about, Daniel, the issue of states' rights and whether Kansas gets to decide in an election how they view abortion? What do you think of that, Daniel? Well, 
I think that Americans, uh, I mean, Americans are very, are very, they're highly devoted to states' rights. Uh, they think a lot of state governments, they sort of, you know, they're, they're very conscious of that. They think that state governments are somehow kind of natural and right, uh, that they somehow should always be that way. I, don't, I personally don't agree, but that's what the country thinks. And I think if there was a democracy, I think that the country might well vote in favor of recognizing states' rights in some form. Uh, I don't think they would allow them to go as far as they do go now, but I think that very possibly would would maintain them in some size or shape. After this Pelosi-Taiwan incident, what has China learned about the U.S. position on Taiwan? Didn't we didn't we we reveal a tell as they say in poker? Didn't we show what our long-term position is on Taiwan? Isn't that really what Nancy uh, Pelosi accomplished? Was revealing once and for all what the U.S. position is. What do you think, Daniel? I I agree. I agree. I mean, I think the uh, I think it's I think as far as China is concerned, it's quite clear. That some kind of military clash is uh, is approaching. You know, I mean, it wasn't so much Pelosi herself; it was the overwhelming support in Congress. I mean, just you know, congressman after congressman lined up, you know, in 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 support of her trip. It was really quite amazing. Not one person spoke out uh, against it. Not one single person, except for Henry Kissinger and Donald Trump. Um, so, you know, so, uh, so I think the Chinese were very impressed by that. I think they see the U.S. is, is growing more aggressive, uh, that it's looking for a showdown, that it wants uh, China to back off and back off in its own backyard, I might add. Uh, and that things uh, could very well get very hairy very soon. What do you mean by very soon? What do you see this is playing out on a timeline because I think it's it is it is obvious now what the U.S. intent is in Taiwan long term. We've let China know that we are their adversary. This is the first time we've I think really made it clear and let China know. As far as Taiwan goes, we are your adversary. Now, so when do you think this will play out? This adversarial relationship. Daniel, how soon can we see results? Go ahead. I don't know. I don't know. Whenever I try to get things, these things are always wind up wrong. But uh, I think it's a matter of years. Uh, and, and on the short end of that, I mean, uh, uh, two, three, four years, something on that order. I mean, clearly things are moving much faster than I would have thought possible uh, only a short time ago. Uh, and, and, um, uh, both sides of the aisle are really uh, aiming for a showdown, uh, and that uh, that China is uh, is all too aware of that. And when you have two sides, you know, you know, going up against one another in the uh, in this uh, in this fashion, it just takes the smallest uh, spark to uh, set things off. You know, two naval ships colliding in the South China Sea. You know, one fires a warning shot. Another responds with a barrage of missiles, and before you know it, you know all hell is breaking loose. So I thought I can't really say, but I think that things are getting really, really risky at this moment. Now, people don't give Joe Biden and and the Biden administration enough credit for helping you 
improve your vocabulary. I, I've learned so many new words like recession, for instance, from the Biden administration, and they're very careful defining of words. And the new one today is Joe Biden was asked whether he was worried about the situation with China. And he said, no, I'm not worried. But he said, I am concerned. And Daniel, did you know there was so much difference between the words worried and concerned? I would have thought they meant basically the same thing in this context. But are you worried or concerned? I'm very worried. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that some kind of a collision is, uh, is on the way. I'm absolutely convinced. I think the uh, U.S. is on the war path. It is doing the same thing uh, in the eastern and the western Pacific that it did in the uh, in the Ukraine. I mean, it's, it's. But what what message do you think the Biden administration is sending by saying they're not worried when they are concerned? What do you think they're trying to do there? They're trying to assure everyone the same incoherent policy is going forward. I mean, as the U.S. will keep upping the pressure in the, uh, in the, in the Western Pacific, no one knows what will happen. Things will eventually explode, and the U.S. will find itself in even deeper trouble than it is in the Ukraine. That's worrying or concerning? How about, how about terrifying? Does that work for you? The, that works better, actually. And, and I suggest the Biden administration start using that. The president is not worried. He's not concerned. He's terrified. <laughs> it seems appropriate. It's, it's amazing. I mean, I mean these, these people in Congress are so amazingly incompetent. That's why, that's why I hate to say anything good about the Democrats, because they have shown themselves to be equally as foolish and as reckless and dangerous as the Republicans. So I, I hate to say anything good about them. The only thing I can say is that in certain, certain regards, the Republicans are even worse. Let me contrast the Biden administration and the Trump administration. I think the, the distinction is when the Biden administration commits a verbal gaffe, as they do frequently, I think they're more sincere about their verbal gaffes. They do not say them accidentally. I got the feeling when Trump committed a verbal gaffe, it was always an accident. But the Biden administration, do you see my point? They seem to mean their verbal gaffes. No, we mean that recession is not two quarters of the GDP sinking. That's not recession. It's an intentional redefining of terms. Do you get that impression, Daniel? Yes, I suppose what you're saying is correct. The, the Biden administration uh, is, is, is more careful when it comes to the use of words, and therefore it's more careful in terms of manipulating the meaning of words. So the, uh, so the recession that is not a recession is a classic example. The president who is not worried but is concerned is uh, another example. A great appearance, and thank you for coming on the show again, Daniel. If you had one prediction for a lot of this stuff. What's going to happen in the next few months? Do you think we're headed towards a series of worldwide revolutions? Daniel's are. What do you see happening in the future? Daniel, terrify us all. 
I see economic crunch in the in Europe. I see economic crunch in China, by the way, where the economy is, is I think, is in serious trouble, and therefore the the political leadership is all the uh, uh, all the more nervous as a result. I see uh, storm clouds looming in the United States. I see Biden ultimately weakening during the fall, and I see the Republicans taking over Congress uh, in November and then proceeding to slow roast Sleepy Joe over a bed of very hot coals. And do you think he's, well, he obviously proved by passing this legislation, he's not currently a lame duck president. Do you think this is a big deal, passing this legislation at this point? Great, great appearance on the backstory. back with the second hour of the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm investigative journalist Lee Strahan, and this is The Backstory. Great parents, as usual, by Daniel Czar. And Rod, do you see my point? I, I, I think the Biden administration, as critical as I am of them, passing this legislation and getting it by Congress. And they did it with no votes to spare. It was Kamala who filed the tie-breaking vote. They did it with no votes to spare, but I don't care because this is a clear legislative victory for the Biden administration. And at this point in the Biden administration, anything that shows there's still you can't call them a lame duck administration anymore. This is big. Do you agree that passing this legislation is actually a big deal for the Biden administration, Rod? No, I would agree with that, Lee. Even though I don't uh, respect or like the uh, Biden administration, they have gotten something done. It's not something I would like done, or most people, most Americans, but uh, they got something done. Right, and they're going to get credit for it. And the fact is, I'll tell you what else is going on. A lot of Americans feel like the impending recession or inflation, we may have dodged a bullet because they see energy prices, notably gas prices, coming down. Gas is now 406 a gallon average. Remember when it was... And people can say, well, big deal, because it used to be lower. But it used to be higher than this. This is down nearly 90 cents, Rod. So the current gas prices are making a lot of people feel actually good about the economy. You you may not fall for it, but do you, do you see that the gas prices being lower is affecting people's mood in the country, Rod. What do you think about that? 
I think slightly, Lee. Um, you know, you do have some people say, well, you know, I see the prices going down, but I'll just give you a quick example. Uh, there was dog food. I was going to get some dog food last week. There was, 50, you know, it's a big bag, about 40 pounds. It was $55. And, you know, I was like, you know what, I'll come back and get it another, a couple of other days. Uh, so today, go back to get it, $62. So it went up, uh, you know, a couple of dollars. So as you, you know, and, and the gas will come back up after the this uh, three-month hiatus of gas tax. Uh, pause. So, you know, things like this, uh, inflation is still going up and uh, the gas tax, the gas will go back up and then people will be uh, noticing that. And possibly just in time for the November elections, right? Right. Right, Rod? Yeah. Also, also, also for the elections as well. I don't know how they're going to, I don't know how they're going to get this messaging on board once the prices start going back up. I'm pretty sure they're going to go straight back to blaming Russia or maybe even blame China. Let's, you know, blame, blame Z. That's what they'll say. Yes. And coming up this half hour, uh, in about a half hour, Dan Kavalik, author, we never had him on the show before, but he's a frequent guest on many Splendid radio shows, including Political Misfits. Right, Rod? Yeah, that's correct, Lee. And like I said, he's in, he's in Colombia for the inauguration of, uh, of Gustavo Petro, Petro. Yes. And we'll be talking about what's going on there in about a half hour. On the backstory. Now, people want to try to underestimate this is a big deal because this shows the Biden administration actually getting something passed. And the fact is, it's not a neat victory, it's a sloppy victory, but it's a victory nonetheless. And people need to watch out for it because. The American public is very fickle. They don't need much good news to say, hey, things are looking better. And then the much predicted Democrat defeat is over. So I would say Daniel Zarr is right. The Democrats can pull out a miracle here. I don't think, do you think Republicans should rest on their laurels? So to speak, Rod? No, they shouldn't. But like we've talked about, like the Kevin McCarthy's and the Mitch McConnell's, you know, they're not going to they're not going to go attack the Democrats. I mean, they should they should be out all over the news today and all the media, social media attacking every aspect of this bill that, you know, will hurt uh, everyday people. But they're not, uh, you know, like, you know, I agree with Daniel in a way that the Republicans are a minority. And uh, as far as the Democrats still have that popularity overall. But, you know, the way the Republicans just lay down and let the Democrats run all over them is just embarrassing. Well, I think it was a good segment with with Daniel's are because it pointed out the clear distinction where a lot of people on the left don't like the system of government. The United States says they want a more pure democracy. Do you notice that, Ron? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, especially amongst young people. You know, I do hear, yeah, especially those young people, especially college educated, they, they come through that system and, you know, they say that the American system is broken and we need, uh, you know, this pure democracy, which, you know, uh, anybody who sees how this, that would go, it would be a disaster in this country. Uh, uh, that's my belief. If you have a pure democracy uh, where 51% can rule over everyone. And and I think it clearly th- that urban-rural split, I think that would be a disaster for this country. I think you need the influence 
other people who act, actually build things, manufacture things, and grow things. I would think someone who's in favor of what the working class thinks would see that more. But they, people on the left invariably come down on the side of the establishment. Do you see that over and over, Rod, that people on the left tend to side with the establishment despite their best efforts? Yeah, I mean, the, this whole Ukraine issue from the beginning from in February when uh, Russia started its operation, that, that shows it right there. You know, people just went straight hook, line, and sinker with this narrative that, you know, Russia's invading Ukraine and they're the evil, they're, they're evil and, you know, Ukraine's just innocent and all this. And a lot of people just still to this day, you know, and I, I see it's faded a lot, um, but still there's a lot of people who still hold on, still got the Ukraine flag in their bios on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram or whatever, and uh, or on their car. Uh, still see, I still see stickers on 95, people with the Ukraine sticker. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I'll bet they couldn't answer a single question. The people with Ukraine stickers on their car, you know, I'll bet if you ask them who Stefan Bandera is, they have no idea. Or even what happened in the city of Odessa a few years ago. Do you think they know anything about the Madan Revolution or what international renaissance is? That's George Soros's big NGO over there, by the way. You, you know that, Rod. Our listeners know that. But I guarantee you, if you ask these people with Ukraine stickers on their cars, they know nothing about Ukraine. Do you agree? Oh, for sure, Lee. Uh, the heavyweight champion of the world is, uh, well, one piece of the heavyweight champions. Uh, his name's Alexander Usyk, and uh, he's having a fight with uh, Anthony Joshua, who's a, who's a former British champion. And uh, just, just I'm, I'm mentioning this because he's a big, he's very prominent in Ukraine, and you know, obviously in sports media. And uh, the, he was talking about, you know, what's happening in Ukraine. And even, even he himself, and obviously I've never spoken to him, but he was talking about, you know, have you seen the news that uh, Russia's bombing Ukraine? And, you know, this obviously what he was talking about was uh, what was happening in Donetsk and Lugansk, and which obviously is Ukraine itself, the Kiev uh, bombing uh, citizens over there. So people are easily swayed by just like celebrities and things like that, and they don't have any real answers. No, and I know, aside from a couple of, outlets. Tucker, occasionally. Paul Sperry, who's a writer who writes over at the New York Post. Everyone is ignoring. See, what bothers me about the Biden corruption, Rod, and I've talked about it before, but it seems to be the new normal. It seems to me like everyone's just kind of, well, whatever. Seeing Joe Biden is obviously like like Daniel Zarb mentioned, 14 references give proof that Joe Biden knew about his son's, I'll call him corrupt, business activities. And I'll call what Hunter Biden was doing inherently corrupt because he had, do you think I'm out of line there, Rod, calling just on the face of it, Hunter Biden being elected by an energy company, he does not seem to be qualified for that position. Am I right? He has no engineering degree. So what does he have, what does he have to do with energy? Uh, anything would do with oil. He doesn't know the language of any of these of these countries. Um, just it's just he has the last name Biden, and you know uh, obviously 
these countries have probably looked in uh, or do know that he's easily swayed by uh, women and drugs. So it's a corrupt establishment of the Biden family. And like you said, I, it's, it is weird. It, it's really weird. And I think it's the desensitization, desens, people desensitized from the last four years of, of Trump. And they're just calling Trump, the whole Trump family corrupt. Oh, he makes his uh, clothes in China. He has dealings with China. He has a hotel in Russia. He's in, in line with Putin. And I think people have just been bombarded by that, where they're just like, uh, their guards down. And now you, you've let this old man going to the president who doesn't even know where he is or what he's talking about. Or that his son's making 80 grand a month from a company that he is, uh, trust me, everyone in our audience, and I say this with no small amount of pride, everyone in our audience is as unqualified as Hunter Biden, right? Is that fair to say that we can proudly say everyone listening to the show has as much qualifications as Hunter Biden for that job. So everyone listening to the show should be making 80 grand a month, according to the Biden administration. Fair enough, Rod? Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that statement. Uh, you know, I have the same qualifications as, as Hunter Biden in energy. I should be, I probably know a few more words in Russian and Ukrainian than he does. So I, I deserve 80,000 a month too, you know, equality, Lee. That's right. That's right. And that's my point, is that our populace seems to have accepted it. The fact that he was making, even just stop there, that he's making 80 grand. People are like, so? So should be obvious to everyone. But have you heard people express apathy towards Hunter Biden making that kind of money, Rod? I kind of, I always get the uh, butt Trump. You know, whenever you mention something that's just people of or a good amount of people now programmed to say, but Trump or the Republicans. So anytime you mention things like this, like like you're saying, 80,000 a month. I mean, he's not a he's not a, a world class soccer player or something like that where he can make that type of money. Uh, he's world class nothing. You know, world class, I guess, a crack smoker. That's about it. And, but he is world class. So you're praising him, right? You're saying world class crack smoker is a good thing. Is that right, Rod? Uh, in you know, in the world, in the world uh, that he travels in, I guess so. You know, I, again, I don't even know too many people. Actually, I don't. Let me let me rephrase it. I don't know anybody who smokes crack. Uh, you know, I know people who do other drugs, unfortunately, but crack. You know, that's kind of like the '90s, early 2000s. I don't. I don't know anybody who smokes crack anymore. Do you know anyone, in fact, who aspires to smoke crack? Do you know anyone who's a list of accomplishments and goals for 2022 include, I need to get into crack. Does anyone say that to you, Rod? No, no, no. no the, they'll, they'll, they'll talk about cocaine. You know, that's still uh, a drug that people use to party and, and uh, get them up for the day. But uh, again, you know, and like I said, I come from one of the worst parts of Philly. I don't, I don't say that to, as a, to be proud. It just is what it is. That's where I was born, uh, raised. And, um, like I said, I don't know anybody who does crack. I know a lot of people do other drugs, but not crack anymore. Well, and uh, I'll tell you this. Try dropping this. Try dropping that you want to get into crack as a line with the ladies. If you meet a girl at a bar or something like that, and you say, what do you, you, know, what do, you do for a living? You say, well, what I'm hoping to do is I want to get into crack. 
see how quickly the lady leaves, right? That's a sure way to lose a date. Am I right, Rod? Yeah, I'd say I'll give you that a ninety percent. You would probably lose, but there's some people might, you know, some women might think you're joking, like you know, crack of what, you know what I mean? They might go, they might take it a step further. <laughs> so there, there might be a ten percent that might go along with that. Anyone who stays around after you say you're thinking of getting into crack, you don't want to date. I'm trust me, but you could you could meet a girl and say, well, I got some coke. And she wouldn't bolt. She she kind of think you might have something going on, like you earn a lot of money. If you say, no, no, I've got some good crack back at the hotel, they'll probably leave. They'll probably be frightened, right, Rod? No one's impressed that you have a bunch of crack back at the hotel. Agreed, Rod? Yeah, no, like 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 I said, Lee, uh, I agree with you 100%. I don't know anybody who does crack uh, anymore. People have uh, graduated to other drugs, so I, I don't know. Hunter Biden's still stuck in the uh, crack phase of life. So I know it's going to shock many people when we say, don't follow Hunter Biden's life advice in general. If Hunter Biden does something, you don't want to do it. Do you think that's fair, Rod? Oh, yeah, for sure. I would never date. Uh, you know, something, God forbid something happened to uh, one of my brothers, I would never date their significant other. You know, that, I think that's that's a big, that's a huge no-no. Now, and again, what we're saying earlier, I want to point out what, what we said earlier. Although I think that the Democrats will lose this upcoming election, the midterms, it is not beyond the capability of Republicans to screw this up. Republicans may actually snatch defeat from the hands of victory. Is that fair to say, Rod? Do you think the Republicans might screw this up somehow? Oh, yeah, for sure, Lee. Uh, I was seeing in the uh, in the conservative news, uh, Joe Kent out of Washington State, uh, he's talked about how Mitch McConnell's, uh, you know, put so much money into uh, candidates running against him you know, establishment candidates. So, you know, that just shows how the Republicans will sabotage their own party just to keep anything out that doesn't keep the status quo. That That's right. And by the way, Joe Biden today is visiting, speaking of Mitch McConnell, he's visiting Kentucky, but Kentucky's had a lot of disasters lately. We, we hardly talked about the flooding. You heard about 37 people dead and flooding recently in Kentucky, right, Rod? You you heard about that? Yeah, yeah, that's it's uh, very unfortunate. And yeah, uh, Joe Biden was giving a speech and about surrounded by maybe like 20, 20 to thirty people max. Yes, and so you know I I've said it before when disasters happen like the flooding that happened in Kentucky, I have very little to say about it because it's just a tragedy. It appears no policy. Some people say, well, global warming. They're not even bringing that up as much about this flooding. It's basically just a tragedy. And so Biden's going to try to deliver his climate message a little bit, but mostly just going because presidents go where places have had 
disasters. Right. Hey, Lee, just to let you know, uh, we got David from New York on and Al Killer. Okay. Thanks for telling me. 202-521-1320. David in New York. What's on your mind? Hi, yes. I have a comment about the proposed trade prisoner swap of Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan for the Russian jail citizen, Victor Bout. It's an off-the-wall suggestion, but it would generate some badly needed positive feedback for Russia if they were to follow my suggestion. My suggestion is this. A counteroffer. Instead of two-for-one, Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan for Victor Bout and Free Julian Assange. What do you think? I don't see it as a reasonable. Just, just for the positive feedback, and it's basically the worldwide positive feedback. Not that, not that Russia wants Julian Assange. Just free him. Or not that the U.S. did. This positive feedback worldwide. I think it would g- generate some, but it would also seal for some people who say Assange is a Russian plant, and I think that's the way it would be used. That's a slight change. Then. How about uh, pardon? Um, uh, Edward Snowden. Although I'd like to see it again, I think it would seal the fate of people who say that Assange is a Russian asset. What do you think of that, Rod? Do you think it would seal that argument among people who hate Assange and say this proves that he's a Russian asset? What do you think about that, Rod? Yeah, no, I commend uh, what David is saying, but yeah, it wouldn't, you know, the media would pounce on that, politicians. I mean, like we had just had the Democrats uh, say nothing about Nancy Pelosi going to Taiwan and agitating China, but they would, I'm pretty sure a majority of them would come out and say, look, this shows Assange was uh, in line with Russia and they released uh, Podesta's emails. You know, he, he, this is what proves it. So Al Keller, 202-521-1320, what is on your mind? They would supply the dirt to bury Brittany Griner under the jail before they would do anything to release Julian Assange. What I uh, really wanted to call in was um, your last guest um, talking about um, democracy and um, how, you know, the the founding fathers are wrong. You know, that is what we were taught growing up in uh, New Jersey was like democracy was where the founding fathers are wrong. But it, it actually, when you hear somebody say that a pool cleaner should have as much say as somebody that is a farmer, I mean, last time I checked, you can live without a pool, but you can't live without food. And it, it just makes you really uh, think about the genius in what they set up and having us or giving us a constitutional republic because the the laws themselves, if you can change the laws, you just got to go ahead and amend the constitution. You know, that's. It doesn't go by a 51% whim every time somebody's in charge and the rules change. That As chaotic as our system is, it would be even crazier in a pure democracy. And, you know, the states themselves are the democracy. You know, it's you go to a state and inside your state, like the federal government should have very little power unless it's outside of violating, unless the state is violating uh, somebody's uh, human rights, the Bill, the Bill of Rights and Constitution. They should have no job at all. They should just go home and hang out. Um, and that's right there. Go to a state that is going to vote the way that you want to vote. And it's just, it's a really, I, I don't think people really think that through because this, that's much of a powder cake we are in this country. Imagine 51% telling the other 49% what to do. I don't think it, I don't think it would last at all. Without without some type of um, you know terrible conflict, but um, just 
last point I wanted to make, you know, you talk about uh, Hunter Biden and, uh, you know, his expertise with uh, Burisma. Now, I think we got it wrong because it wasn't for Trump and he was going to have crock rock fusion and we wouldn't even need natural gas. But on a, on a more serious uh, note with that, I think it's what John Gotti said. You know, you play the tapes long enough, they just become the same song. It's not so much that the people have accepted um, the Biden corruption. It's the fact that who is going to do something about it? They own, they have all their minions in the federal government. And as much as I dislike parts of uh, Steve Bannon, he his rhetoric was right at CPAC about dismantling the administrative state. And I have yet to see somebody say, why don't we just retire these people? We'll pay them their salary. We'll pay them their pension. Just stay home and get rid of, get rid of these agencies. You know, that that's their, if their main goal is their employment and that's why they would be uh, that they're so opposed to the other side, they're taking early retirement. We'll give you your full pension. And eventually after those people, are no longer receiving a pension. That's it. You know, you'll, you'll save billions, billions of dollars in the long, long run, and we'd have a freer country again. And I, I'll say about Steve Bannon, I think his heart is in the right place. I think Steve is opposed. To, I think he's actually opposed to neocons, but I think he comes out and does stuff because he realizes that a lot of his bread is buttered by the neocons. Does that make sense, Al Cohen? No, definitely. And I, I almost wonder if he has a like he likes he likes to be um, if he likes to be persecuted. I, I almost think that some people like it, and I wonder if that has caused him some of his issues. But yeah, that, I definitely could see. But I, I actually, honestly, with CPAC and I, I the Republicans disgust me more than the, the Democrats do, but. I mean, everybody was saying the word globalist. They were talking about the fossil fuels. They were talking about um, the ESG. So th this is stuff that was conspiratorial 10 years ago and even even six years ago. So it, it's mainstream now. And, you know, I when I was listening to your segment with uh, Jason Goodman on um, when I, on, on the Patreon, um, I wanted to hear you guys get into Steve Pachinik. Because I think they, and I, I, I'm not accusing Robert Barnes of being deep or being a deep state plant, but I think they put these people around Alex to tr to make him feel better. Because I mean, a Alex doesn't need these guys. Let me answer that, Color. I know for a fact there are some people because a guy who worked with Jack Pasovic and Mike Cernovich when they were over at his house. They worked with this guy. They were specifically targeting Alex Jones. And they said they wanted to get rid of Alex Jones. And that was the time they were appearing on a show. So Alex was not aware that these guys were actually out to get him. Does that make sense? No, no, definitely. And I, I almost think like, some, like Shakespeare said, sometimes people protest too much. I noticed that some of the biggest people that were opposed or making the biggest deal about the, the terrible um, uh, InfoWars decision that, that came out um, last week, Mike Cernovich and Robert Barnes, both of, and I think it's almost like they want to ingratiate themselves with Alex so that Alex doesn't attack them. Because I think if Alex saw what you've revealed about the whole uh, um, Dershowitz and Epstein thing, I think 
it's it, it's somebody like Alex would have to be the person to break that because I I don't think anybody else wants to hear it from anybody else. Well, in fact, he in fact he was. Alex had me on his show to talk about Cernovich and his real role in the Epstein story. Alex was the only person who had me on to talk about what was really happening with Cernovich and Epstein. And then Barnes took me aside, basically. He had to have a meeting with me. And then Barnes lied about me to Alex and said, Lee's a maniac and Lee's a nut. And everything he's saying about Cernovich is fake. And you've looked it up, right, Al Keller? I'm not faking. Anything I'm saying about Cernovich is 100% proven. It's not only proven, I just... I don't know how anybody could not see it. It's it's just like they they just they they want it to be true, so they'll they'll take the. But if you do any type of research into it, you'll see it's written in court papers. It's written in court papers, and Cernovich's own statements condemn him. But uh, so that's what happened there. So that's a personal story about that. But Al Killer, great call as usual. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, Dan Kavalik will be talking to Dan for the first time. He's a frequent guest on many shows, including Political Misfits here on Radio Spinnick. Well, let's take a short break and then talk to Dan about the state of the world on The Backstory. back at 105.5 FM AM 1390 on The Backstory. Joining us now, Dan Kabalik, and we'll talk with him about what's going on in Colombia. Hey, Dan, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Good, Lee. Thanks for having me. So appreciate you coming on. So let's uh, set up what's happening in Colombia by broadly what's happening in South and Central America. What's been happening in South and Central America politically? What's the trend in the past couple of years that you see, Daniel? Well, there's definitely been a move towards the left uh, throughout Latin America. You saw this in Argentina, in Chile, in Peru, in Honduras, uh, in Mexico. And now you see this for the first time ever, ever. In Colombia, um, Colombia has had uh, a series of right-wing governments since uh, 2002, so that's 20 years, but never had a real progressive president until now. The last time a left-wing president ran for office in 1948, he was assassinated. His name was Jorge Gaitan, and it led to what they call La Violencia, in which 300,000 Colombians were killed. So this is a major development, uh, and it is part of the overall trend in Latin America and the Caribbean. Now, do you see that as a, a real or organic sort of change towards the left? In other words, is it coming from the people, or is it being pushed by the 
liberal establishment in some way. No, I definitely think it's coming from the people. I mean, certainly the liberal establishment in the United States is against this process. Um, you know, the, the U.S. is very, in fact, concerned about the new president, Colombia, Gustavo Petro. They sent a pretty low-level delegation to the inauguration. They sent Samantha Power, who is head of USAID. You know, they didn't send the president or vice president or secretary of state, you know, someone they might have. <laughs> to another election. No, I think I think uh, this is uh, definitely coming from the ground up. And this is a lot of it's motivated by years of neoliberal economic policies, which have just devastated these countries, increased social inequalities. Colombia is one of the most unequal societies on Earth. And you really had the people who have nothing uh, who had their say at the ballot box this time. And that's really what this is about. Now, how important is what's happening in South and Central America to the Biden administration? And there was, how much actual focus do they put on issues involving Central and South America? And how much focus do you think they should put on those issues? Daniel? Well, it's an interesting question. I, I would say, you know, I, I would say they're very concerned about what's happening in Latin America and the Caribbean. But in terms of what they do to demonstrate that concern, I think there's a gap between those two things. Right. Uh, you, you hear, for example, the head of Southcom, you know, the U.S.'s uh, South Command. Um, she recently said, oh, we got, you know, Latin America is so important because it has all these wool resources, 60 percent of the world's lithium and petroleum and natural gas. And we can't let China and Russia, you know, get control over that. And yet everything the U.S. does in Latin America and the Caribbean alienates the people here. And that's why they end up sometimes turning to Russia or China. Right. I mean, so. I think that what the U.S. should be doing is focusing on real development here in supporting uh, programs that do benefit working class people, that benefit poor people, which are the vast majority of people in this region. And, and truthfully, the poverty you see here, Really, it's not comparable to the poverty in the U.S. The poverty here is a, is a grinding form of poverty. It's just, it's really terrible to see. If the U.S. were helping on those issues, uh, all these countries would be more than happy to deal with the U.S. They'd all rather deal with the U.S. than Russia and China. They have no cultural relationship with those countries. I'll give you an example. Look at Nicaragua and Cuba. I mean, they're... Favorite sport in both those countries is not soccer. It's baseball. They love baseball. They love everything that's American. They'd rather deal with the United States. But the U.S. doesn't want to deal with them. So, of course, they've ended up, you know, finding partners elsewhere. And I think that's the big problem here. So, and I, I again, you have this progressive president come in here. He was elected. No one claims the election was anything but free and fair. And Biden sends, frankly, a low-level person to attend the inauguration. And there's no indication that the U.S. has 
plans at working with this guy. So, you know, they're going to end up probably alienating him like they've alienated everyone else. Good point. It seems to me like the U.S. doesn't want relationships that it can't control. When it gets involved with a country, it wants to completely control it. Who they trade with, whether there's any sanctions and so on. And Russia and China seem to have, ironically, a more laissez-faire attitude. That they're not trying to control their economic partners. Daniel, do you think I'm right on that? I, th I think you're exactly right. Russia and China are like, you want to trade with us? Great. But the U.S. is like, you want to trade with us? Well, then you have to do these certain things economically and politically. And if you don't do those things, we're going to sanction you. We're going to prevent you from getting food. We're going to prevent you from getting medicine. Uh, and the Russians and Chinese don't do that. I mean, you're exactly right. And that's why the U.S. is losing around the world. That's why countries don't trust the United States. And I don't get how our leaders don't understand that, right? We, I think we're sanctioning now like 35 different countries, and which represent a huge proportion of the world's population. And when you do that, it does many things. I mean, the main thing is it does cause human suffering, and that's what it's intended to do in those countries. But what it also does, it forces all those countries to start trading in currency other than the U.S. dollar, in finding partners outside the U.S. So what the U.S. has done by trying to control the world is they're losing the world. They're sanctioning themselves out of the world economy. And that's exactly what we're seeing right now. We saw it in a big way with the sanctions against Russia. And you're going to see the dollar end up not being the reserve currency of the world. And that's going to mean that the dollar will not have the value that it has today. And that's all going to be the result of, of our own government's policies. The U.S. has less economic power means that these countries have less reason to deal with the U.S. because the economic power that the U.S. has is one of the only reasons to deal with them. Right, Daniel? Well, right. I mean, all we really have left is our military power, which is substantial, but you can't eat guns, right? You can't eat bullets. And in the end, people want food and things that they can live off of, not weapons, right? And that's really all we're offering to the world at this point. And the world is, is, is starting to really reject that. They don't want that, you know? And again, I don't see a change happening. You see, it doesn't matter if it's a Republican administration, Democratic administration. Every year, they keep increasing our so-called defense budget when none of it or very little is really about defense. It's mostly about, well, one, engorging the defense contractors, but also waging wars of aggression in other countries that really don't threaten us. So there has to be a major reprioritization in our country. We have to rethink how we spend our money and, and how we treat other countries. And unless that happens, we're going to see ourselves out in the cold. Now, are you, do you follow Turkey? Turkey, do you follow Erdogan much? 
I certainly have, I, I do now, certainly a lot more since, you know, the Russian intervention happened because they've been doing some very interesting things. They've been, seems to me, playing a very smart uh, diplomatic game uh, these days. Well, so that's an interesting description because I, I would use it too. I find a lot of what Turkey is doing very interesting. Erdogan seems to me to be a leader who used to not care what the world thought about him. But he seems to me to be now someone who wants to position himself as a world leader and being a guy who can negotiate peace treaties with Russia and other countries. Do you see Erdogan taking a larger, more proactive role in the world? Absolutely. And again, as you say, you do see that with them hosting some of these peace talks between Russia and Ukraine. Um, they've played a very adept, they have a very adept strategy at how they've been handling this crisis and been very smart in the sense that they've, they've, have not shut out Russia, but they haven't shut out the West either. They're really playing both sides of the fence here pretty adeptly. And I think that, yes, they, you're going to see them as a major player in the world. And I, I do think uh, uh, the Erdogan is, is a reason for that. He, he's handling this very smartly. I'll point out that Erdogan is is also, he's, he, he's approached to Putin, dealing with Putin. Is he's not? It is not one of fealty. He does not go to Putin as a a subservient person. Erdogan, and believe it or not, I think it's working for him. Erdogan is approaching Putin as an equal. Do you see that in the way he's dealing with him, and and that it's actually going pretty well, asking for respect. And demanding it is working well for him because Putin's willing to give him respect. Do you see that, Daniel? Absolutely. In fact, if anyone's in the driver's seat, it seems to be Erdogan, right? I mean, it seems to me that it's Russia that kind of needs to come to Turkey for things. Uh, and uh, yeah, I do think that this is not about Turkey uh, coming hat in hand to Russia at all. As you say, they, they deal with each other as equals. Uh, and that's how countries should deal with each other, right? The UN was set up. The UN, one of the first provisions of the UN Charter is that every country, you know, has the same rights. Uh, but the U.S. doesn't see it that way, right? They see everyone is equals, but some are more equal than others, if I can quote, you know, Animal Farm. Um, and again, countries are getting wise to that. Even look at Germany. I mean, these sanctions that we forced Germany to to take against Russia are going to leave Germany economically ruined. And the U.S. doesn't seem to really care about that. It's, it's, it's just, we don't even treat our allies well, is what I'm saying. I mean, we uh, I think it's even Kissinger who said something like, you know, woe to the enemies of America, but but woe more even to our friends. <laughs> and I think there's some truth to that. Well, I think they're missing the fundamental point in human psychology. People like being respected. And the U.S. fails on that. No, absolutely. And it, it, 
it is, as you say, it's a basic tenet of human interaction that if you want respect, you must give respect, right? That That's an obvious thing that, you know, if you're a decent parent, you teach your kids that when they're little. And and yet the U.S. doesn't act that way. They They want respect from everyone, but they're very stingy in giving it. Uh, and they can withhold it at will, you know. And again, uh, countries rightfully aren't aren't willing to live like that. Yes, and they they don't have to. Part of what's happening with Turkey is that they're a big manufacturing power, and frankly, Turkey and Russia have a lot of things. For instance, Russia right now they need furniture. They've lost IKEA, but Turkey are good furniture manufacturers. They're a country that makes furniture. So I see a perfect opportunity for both countries to have a trading relationship. And it's not based on threats. It's not based on intimidation, but it's based on mutual interests. Am I making sense, Daniel? I mean, you're 100% right. And again, what's happening is when you cut a country off like Russia, the way we have, the way we never did, even during the Cold War, you know, where you can't even fly from the U.S. to Russia anymore. You know, you can't bank between those two countries. When you cut a country off so profoundly, they're going to just deal with other people. And then it's going to be those other countries like Turkey, as you mentioned, and others that are going to benefit. We're going to lose out. And. Uh, we're seeing that. We're seeing the U.S. economy weaken, though we're being told it's strong. I don't know how that's true. And we're told, though, we may be entering a recession. And again, I think it's going to be largely because we've alienated places like Russia. Now, with this Pelosi trip to Taiwan, you know, we may find it even harder to get these computer chips that we need, uh, these microchips that we already have a shortage of, you know. So, it's hard to understand the mindset of these these folks who claim to represent us when they're frankly making our lives harder by alienating everyone. Well, I'll tell you, the, their mindset, I think, is hard to understand, but it's easy to predict. The U.S. is you, the only kind of relationships the U.S. is used to having with other countries is an abusive one. So... The U.S. is acting in a way that you may look at and go, well, why acting that way? You get more bees with honey. You know, treat people nicer, treat countries nicer, and you get better results. But we're so used to dealing with countries in an abusive relationship that we have no other method of dealing with countries. We, 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 we don't have any. Does that make sense to you, Daniel? Yeah, yeah. In fact, what we've done, we've built up our military, but we haven't built up our diplomatic corps. You know, we used to have, you know, if you remember Jack Matlock, he was, uh, I believe he was uh, Bush the Elder's uh, ambassador to the Soviet Union. He could speak Russian absolutely perfectly. And uh, we don't have people like that anymore. We now have ambassadors in places like Russia that can't even speak Russian. You know, uh, we ha- we don't even try to do diplomacy anymore. All we try is warfare. And it's again, it's that old adage, 
that when you're a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Exactly. And that's that we see every country is a nail now. And it's not benefiting them and it's certainly not going to benefit us. Uh, and that's a shame that that's a shame. What do you see? I'm seeing a power shift and I'm seeing a power shift where countries like Turkey are making a move and also India and China. These are major populist countries and they're not. Again, Turkey has a big industrial base. So actually, it's a perfect fit as an economic partner for Russia in these times. Does that make sense, Daniel? Yes, yes. And they're going to move ahead without the West. And, and Iran, also Iran has 80 million people. Uh, and they have a, vi- a very big economic base. Um, and, you know, very soon Brazil, which is one of the biggest economies in the world, most likely they're going to have a president that is going to be uh, integrating with Russia and China and India. So, again, you're going to see a huge part of the mo- world move on its own away from, uh, you know, the U.S., which used to be really the center of, of, of everything. And we're going to end up being the center of nothing very soon. And so how important, because you're almost saying it, but I'll say it because you're not quite saying it, BRICS. How important do you think that BRICS alliance is going to be going forward? Are they going to be a Coke and Pepsi alternative to NATO and the G7, this BRICS alliance? Yes, I do think so. Because you see, so when you're talking BRICS, we should just spell it out for people. That's Brazil, uh, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. But now they're going to add probably, it looks like maybe even Saudi Arabia, Iran, and some other countries. You're looking at a major economic powerhouse. And possibly Turkey. And possibly Turkey. So, yes, they will be able to compete. I think outcompete the West is the truth of it. I mean, look at what's happening again in Western Europe right now. These Russian sanctions have totally backfired on Western Europe, especially Germany, which had, I believe, the biggest economy or one of the biggest economies in Europe, one of the biggest economies in the world. Yet now of unions in Germany predicting that whole industries are going to collapse, right? So, uh, you know, I, I think unless we change our tune pretty quickly, the world's going to leave us behind. I mean, I see that happening for sure. What do you say of the role going forward of Hungary? Because another country I'm watching is Viktor Orban and Hungary. And it seems to me that Hungary, despite a lot of the media attacks on, on Hungary, Orban is popular with his people. And again, Orban is a guy who wants to work with people. And he's not taking a hard line against Russia. But he is acting, I think, in a way that's going to gain him respect among world leaders. What do you think about Viktor Orban from Hungary, Daniel? Yeah, he's an in, he's an interesting character. I think you're right in the sense that, again, he, he reminds me of how Turkey is playing this. He, he doesn't want to alienate Europe. At the same time, he doesn't see Russia as his enemy. He's not willing to alienate them either. And I think he's going to try to have the best of both worlds out of the, you know, both sides. And frankly, that's the smart way to play it. You know, you don't make enemies when you don't have to. And again, I 
I think the U.S. have forgot that lesson a long time ago, right? You don't go around making enemies unless, you know, circumstances necessitate, you know? And again, I think Hungary has learned that probably the hard way over the years, being, you know, caught between the West and the East. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think, I think it is, is the smart play. And I, I don't know if you've ever been to Hungary, but I went a couple of years ago. And Hungary, it's surprising how live World War II history is there, is a part of their day-to-day consciousness. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And that's true, certainly, of Russia, which lost 27 million people in the war. It's obviously true of Germany. It's true of a lot of Europe. I mean, the U.S. has never experienced war that way. Right. A total war against the United States, you know, where whole cities were destroyed. We don't know what that's like. These countries know what it's like. Most of Europe has experienced it not once, but at least twice with two world wars. Right. So. They think about those things every day. That's exactly right. We're out of time, unfortunately. But fantastic conversation. Thanks for coming on the show. And have a great day. Yeah, that's Daniel Kovalik. Great conversation. And we'll be back tomorrow with more great conversation, truth-telling, and fun on The Backstory. 